Hey folks, this is Clayton Collins, CEO at HW Media and your host for the Housing News Podcast. If you've been tuning in over the last three weeks, you've had the pleasure of listening to the first three episodes in this four-part series, which we're calling the Secondary Market Masterclass. We've partnered with our friends at Poly to bring expert level information to you, our housing news audience, on all things capital markets and secondary markets in the mortgage ecosystem. Over the last three weeks, we've learned about the mortgage banking market, how it's structured in the participants in the primary and secondary market. We've learned about capital markets, technology and innovation. And we've even had the opportunity to speak to capital markets desk leaders about the functions and role of their teams inside of an independent mortgage bank. Today, we have the pleasure of welcoming Adam Carmel, founder and CEO at Poly, to the podcast. Adam is our expert in this fourth episode of our four-part series. We're dubbing this one 401 if we're using the college course uh, kind of analogy here. And in this episode with Mr. Adam Carmel, we talk about his experience founding Poly. And for those of you that may not know, Adam actually operated a mortgage bank before starting this technology company. This episode with Adam really does a phenomenal job at spotlighting the current capital markets ecosystem, how tech is helping pull that ecosystem forward and solve problems and drive ROI for mortgage bankers across the country. I hope you enjoy this episode with Adam Carmel, CEO and founder of Poly. This masterclass series is brought to you by Poly. Poly operates the industry's only vertically integrated capital market solution, adding demonstrable value from rate lock through loan sale and delivery. Built in the cloud for the cloud, Poly automates and optimizes the entire capital markets value chain, helping lenders of all types and sizes proactively scale their mortgage operations. Capital markets leaders demand flexible and highly configurable technology solutions and Poly delivers. To learn more about Poly, check out poly.io. All right, folks, we're back for episode four, our capstone episode of the Secondary Market Masterclass brought to you by Polly. And we couldn't have a more appropriate guest for this fourth episode, Mr. Adam Carmel, founder and CEO at Polly. Adam, welcome. Hi, thanks for having me. So Adam, over the last three weeks, we've partnered with Polly to bring together some incredible expert level knowledge on the secondary market and the capital markets ecosystem in mortgage. In the first episode, we have Parvash from your team at Polly. Speak with me about the structure of the mortgage banking market. Then John Foy, head of product at Poly, joined me to talk about the capital markets tech stack. And last week, we had the pleasure of speaking with the, some leaders to learn about the role of the secondary or capital markets desk inside of independent mortgage bank. I loved hearing about the specific roles and responsibilities and functions of the capital markets desk and, and how that really varies from lender to lender. In this capstone episode, we're going to focus in on the evolution of technology and capital markets, uh, not just how the tech's evolved, but how it's impacted the housing ecosystem. As we know that tech isn't just evolving for tech's sake, it's evolving to make the housing market more efficient. And in this specific scenario, I talk about how it makes capital markets more efficient 
and uh, and better for independent mortgage banks and the consumers that they serve. So Adam, I, I want to kick off and uh, we're not going to spend the whole time talking about Polly, but I do want to learn more about the Polly founding story. So can you give us a, a glimpse into the the innovation curve or whatever it was that inspired you to bring Polly to the forefront? Sure, you bet. So uh, it dates back to 2013. I had started a, a mortgage company with the idea of building proprietary software to drive down the cost of origination. Uh, soon thereafter, um, within a few years, I realized, um, having been a power user of uh, the largest pricing engine in the market, that that software was grossly inadequate for, for our needs in terms of being able to uh, dynamically and um, configure margins as granularly as I was hoping for. Um, there was no workflow automation. Um, I couldn't get any analytics over the innovation curve had basically eroded um, and the service deteriorated. And so um, we built our own proprietary pricing engine at that, at that mortgage business and um, very, very soon thereafter realized demonstrable ROI and value. Uh, a few years later in 2018, I went to our board and I said, hey, uh, I think that we've built something really special here. Uh, I've spoken to other mortgage companies, friends that I have in the industry, um, and they all said the same thing, which is we've been with the same provider for, for 20 years or, or 10 or 15, whatever, and there's really been no change, uh, but we've got no choice. And all the same pricing engines in 2018 um, exist today, right? The, the new entrant, of course, is Poly. Uh, and so the board said, okay, you know, um, we're, we're, we're with you. So we, so we went ahead and sold the mortgage business. We took some of that money and that's how we capitalized Poly. Uh, we actually then decided to build the technology from ground up. We threw everything away, having learned, you know, successes and in areas of improvement over the previous four or five years. Um, and, and then we built the back end intentionally over a long period of time uh, such that it maximized um, flexibility, granularity, configurability, and scalability. And then from there, we basically said, okay, now the first phase of the business, we're going to focus in on creating and giving our customer partners the most um, dynamic and granular and configurable and flexible system in the market with regards to the pricing engine, then over time, the capital markets vertical. And then phase two, there was a big focus and continues to be a big focus on automating all of the workflows associated with the lock desk and post lock desk workflows and other workflows. And now we're thinking you know, bigger and broader in terms of looking back at the original vision, which is to revolutionize the entire mortgage capital markets value chain. So Adam, Many of our listeners have never and, and will never work on a capital markets desk. They're origination leaders or executives or work in valuation or real estate, but want to understand the impact that a capital markets team or secondary markets uh, executed correctly can have on the mortgage lending process. So I want to go back to some of that time, your entrepreneurial days of, of running your mortgage lender. Um, you were from like founding to sale. It was about six years, right? Yeah, that's right. That's exactly right. That's okay. So the six years as the operator of a of an independent mortgage bank in your organization, what did what role did secondary markets play? And like, if executed correctly, like when and where do they have a seat at the table in the overall process? Sure. So if you kind of just zoom out just for a sec, an agency eligible mortgage 
a 30-year fix, which is a significant percentage of the overall mortgage industry today. What are the points of differentiation, right? Basically, you're putting a name, you're putting a signature, and you're putting a price on effectively a homogenous document set. And of course, the loan origination system, the system, the fulfillment system of record is responsible for the fulfillment, processing, compliance, underwriting, and so forth from submission to fund. When Poly was started, I said, well, you know, I was thinking, well, <laughs> the ultimate point of differentiation then, the only point of differentiation on a 30-year fixed mortgage is actually just the price. And so to me, um, we always go back to that. And that's why we always talk about being able to dynamically configure the price, the margin, and then being able to automate workflows with regards to if that price was to change, how is it going to change? So that's like just the high level. Now, obviously, if in my opinion, at least the one differentiator for the consumer is the rate, then the capital markets and lock desk groups within each, uh, each mortgage company or bank or credit union is paramount. They are the ones ultimately deciding what price that's going to be on that particular product in that particular state for that loan balance, et cetera. And so historically, they have been given inadequate tooling in order to configure that margin in, a gran- in as granular way as they actually would like to be able to do. And so along came Polly. We went ahead and built this system that allows for them to achieve what they've been wanting to achieve for the past decade or two. So before Polly, talking about the, the tech that was available, and, and I'm going to I'll ask our audience to make sure they listen to the episode with, with John Foy, because he did give us a glimpse into some of the levers that are now able to be configured with today's capital mortgage te- technology. But when you were operating your mortgage lending firm, um, what were the levers that you wanted to pull? How did you want to calibrate pricing to be better and more efficient that, that maybe you weren't able to, or maybe you had to do in Excel or, or in a different way than you can with today's tools? Yeah. You know, there's various verticals, right? It could be product focused. It could be state focused. It could be MSA focused. It could be note rate focused. So that's kind of just with, with regards to the loan. Then you also have ingesting data and an understanding and an appreciation for how your price relative to your competition. You can't be too far back, but you don't want to be too far ahead. So you, you want to make sure that, you know, you're, you're where you want to be and it's an acceptable place for the profitability of the business. Um, you also want to understand, in addition, if you're retaining servicing, how um, how you want to take the, the value of that servicing and, and bring it into the front end. You want to look at if you're in the pulse sale or correspondence space, you want to be able to take in data in terms of your relationship with those customers of yours and understand, you know, potentially what their pull through is, what the duration is in terms of, you know, the velocity from, say, lock to fund or from um, commitment to settlement, whatever the case, you want to really understand how your relationship interaction with your customers, say, in those two channels are impacting your profitability or not. So at the end of the day, this is a very competitive industry. And when we're not in a refi wave, which we all hope we're in more often than not, but when we're not, you're fighting for every basis point. 
you want to drive down your cost um, across the board. You want to ensure that every single loan is optimized. And historically, there's been no tooling to do that. And we wanted to solve those problems. I'm sure many of our audience members, myself included, uh, listened to last month's episode um, on the Housing Wire Daily podcast. Sarah Wheeler interviewed David Coleman, who's now the, the president at MISMO. And David talked about some of his time uh, in on the GSC side of the house and and bringing technology to market. So we're we're talking about capital markets technology right now from the from the vantage point and from the direction of the mortgage bank. But how important has have the GSEs and other capital markets participants been in the evolution or innovation curve of capital markets technology? Historically, there weren't. APIs available. That's like a, a new phenomenon in the mortgage industry or new-ish relative to other industries. Um, and so being able to have access to uh, data in a more transparent and kind of readily consumable way has been a, a helpful thing. I've always said that if it was the case that those integrations with, it could be other software companies or the agencies or potentially other loan buyers, if those APIs weren't available, then a company like Poly wouldn't exist. So in order to advance technology and in order to um, think about where we can take things, certainly having those baseline integrations is very, very, very important. In terms of the future, obviously the loan buyers, uh, correspondent buyers, and the agent and Fannie and Freddie are super important partners of ours. And we're constantly looking to not only evolve, but really think about the space differently and how we can ultimately help to democratize analytics, efficiency, and price to the broader market. And how that can ultimately, over the long term, bring a more affordable mortgage price to the consumer. I'm glad you brought up analytics. I know that was something you mentioned as a as a pain point in the initial poly founding story when you were operating your mortgage lending firm. So let's talk about analytics. Is that a something you you hear from lenders and clients frequently that they're looking for deeper insights into their their profitability or margins or the the levers that they're able to pull to drive down cost or increase margin, whatever like the current priority is? Absolutely. I would liken the notion of quote unquote analytics historically from this vertical, to call it the capital markets vertical, pricing engine vertical, to how cell phones used to operate in the 90s. Sufficient. You could make a phone call, but I certainly wouldn't consider a razor phone to be a smartphone. So we're thinking about analytics in a different way. We think that when um, a customer partner of ours consumes data or analytics, it needs to go beyond just being insightful. It needs to be action-oriented. They need to be able to consume this information and this data and to be able to quickly make decisions that are helpful to their profitability, helpful to their customers, and helpful to um, whatever objectives they have, not only in current day, but over the long term. And so for us, gone are the days of static spreadsheets, gone are the days of having to look at four different reports and figure out how to make the right decision. And by the time you figure that decision out, the market's already moved and that decision is effectively irrelevant. Uh, we're really rethinking the way in which data and information is going to be consumed. And we're excited to be able to announce some of that uh, in, in the next several months. 
Oh, we got some stuff coming. So, Adam, as I as I look at Polly, I, I see you as a as a firm that is, is innovating and and leading the market forward. But I think it's interesting you brought up like the cell phone analogy. Like you know, smartphones would have been completely useless in the day that the, no- the Nokia or Razor was out there because the infrastructure wasn't ready to support the the bandwidth necessary to deliver all of the the information, tools, and content that we now consume on our on our smartphones and. I've like reading through poly materials, uh, the phrase built on the cloud for the cloud has, has really like stuck out to me. And a lot of what you're doing, it wasn't really possible before cloud computing and the technology that we have at our fingertips today was ready. So putting this back in the context of the mortgage industry, how often do you find yourself and your, your product and engineering team, like leading the market forward and being kind of on like the bleeding edge of innovation versus like meeting the demand of what's already there. Like how do you find yourself in a situation where you're kind of pulling clients and capital markets forward or just trying to stay right on that bleeding edge? Like how, how do you manage that like capability and like market readiness uh, kind of like push and pull? Yeah, that's a really great question. It's a really great question because industries such as mortgage or insurance or kind of anything in financial services is so conditioned to operating in a certain way just because it's been done that way for so long. And there's not only an innovation curve, but an education curve that comes with it and they work together. And so we take the view of deep collaboration and partnership uh, and being able to advance both. Um, So before we go think about and, and release a new major product category or feature, a major feature. We are deeply focused on having many, many discussions with our existing customer partners and prospective customer partners, such that as we're thinking about being on the very, very bleeding edge, that it conforms to their business model. And we can discuss what we can build in terms of the product and the feature set to help get them where they want to go. Now, what's so amazing about these partnerships is they're thirsty for change too. It's not just us. Oftentimes, I mean, overwhelming majority, it's the case that the best ideas come from our customer partners. They're the ones thinking forward, not just us. And so it really has been an amazing challenge for us to be able to keep up with the pace in which we are asked to make changes and and think about things differently. And we love it. We absolutely value it. We love it. We encourage it. We strive to have those types of relationships. Um, and then it's just incumbent upon us to deliver and execute. Can you give any examples of a, a product or, or feature that's, uh, that kind of demonstrates something the clients were asking for and like a, an innovation that they were, but maybe wasn't on the roadmap yet, but clients were, were hungry for? I think people will see a lot of that in, in our, this kind of, we were discussing you know, analytics in, in a few months. I think there'll be some, a lot of that there. Uh, within our existing pricing engine, we've had a major features like automated product change and some of this, you know, this dynamic margin management engine we've got. So there's just a bunch of things that um, we're constantly collaborating with our customer partners with in terms of the innovation curve. And it certainly does take time um, along the way to mutually educate each other, right? Like oftentimes they're educating us. So we're working on a lot of really, really exciting things. I think, you know, we're not slowing down. We're just speeding up. When I hear terms like uh, automated product changes or dynamic pricing, I 
kind of get the sense that there's some some AI capabilities starting to to creep into the cap market stack. Is is that uh, an area where you're spending time right now? Uh, I think that any company probably in the world, not at least thinking about it is that, you know, I'm sure everyone's thinking about AI. Everyone's talking about AI. I think there's, you know, part of the issue also is, is that everyone references AI, but then it's not actually AI and it's just like a nice marketing discussion and things. And so, you know, when we apply bleeding edge technology, it needs to be for a purpose, not just for marketing. Not just to add a .ai to a URL and uh, yeah. pretend you're in the game. <laughs> exactly right, and that's the case with anything. We can't. We're not. We don't just build things and talk to talk about them. We we've got to build things that are uh, driving value, driving ROI, driving profitability, driving automation. Whatever it is, anything we build has to be for an explicit purpose that we can associate with our partner customers. And ROI. Okay, Adam, let's bring context to the conversation around innovation. So it's really easy to talk about innovation. Everyone loves talking about technology, but let's talk about what it means for the businesses that that you're serving. Um, we know over the last several years, we've, you know, we went through a scary period being at COVID. We went to this low rate environment. We went into a refi market, we went to a hot purchase market. Now we're in a purchase market with a little less volume than everybody would prefer. A lot of emphasis is on um, margin management and, and cost control. So can you help bring some context to how the evolution of technology and capital markets is, is impacting independent mortgage banks today? Certainly. So, well, first, there's probably no better time to adopt the most cutting edge service oriented technology and, and company available. And that's in any software vertical. And so um, people have some time. If you've got a five-year, three-year plan, now's an amazing time to actually be thinking about upgrading. Uh, so that's number one. Number two, in terms of what it can be doing for people today, it can get you more competitive in your local markets. It can get you more competitive with your loan officers or your mortgage brokers or your correspondent customers. It allows for you to maximize and optimize your profitability on a loan level basis. It allows for you to um, automate a tremendous amount of workflows and kind of workflows that historically have required personnel. Those personnel could be shifted to other higher impact, higher value things within the organization. Uh, and so we've been able to prove the ROI. We've had dozens upon dozens upon dozens upon dozens of successful implementations in record time. And so one of our missions here is to always deliver a value and ROI. But more important than even that is when we commit to something, we deliver and we execute on time. Our word is our bond. Nothing is more invaluable to us than our brand and our words. And so um, we're really, really focused when we make a commitment, we execute and deliver on it. And I think that's something that's rare. So Adam, during this masterclass series, I've, I think I've picked up on a few different levers of how capital markets technology can can drive ROI for lenders. So sharper pricing, which enables originators to be more impactful and win more business. Um, targeted pricing, which helps origination leaders grow in certain uh, geographic markets or demographic markets where they want to bolster their their shop's capabilities. And Three, better capital markets execution, which potentially drives margin on the secondary side of the house. So um, are there any ROI drivers I'm, I'm missing? Once all of that occurs, yes, all of the automation uh, in our workflows, also the 
LO experience or kind of experience for the mortgage broker as well. We've been keenly focused on driving significant value to not just price discovery and more granularity and not only just the automation components that I mentioned here, but as well, the experience for loan officers and mortgage brokers as well. And so we've been really, really focused on how we can help loan officers engage and communicate with their consumers, with their customers, and drive a far superior experience than they've historically been been used to uh, doing. I'm so happy you raised that. That was like my banker mind, just thinking about the financial drivers of more business, higher margin, faster execution. You brought on the people side of this uh, better tech makes your team happier um, and it helps your front at your, the front end of your market perform uh, better because they have better tech and tools. Okay. So the tip of the spear, the originator is happier because they're making more money and they are able to serve their customers better. And then you also mentioned efficiency, which is another big topic in today's market. Um, um, are your technology tools actually helping you run more efficient operations and avoid the more hands in the, the operation side of the business than necessary? That's exactly right. So in in like ROI calculations, whether this is like formal or informal, are are you finding lenders like finding like equal contribution across the board of those like five or six different ROI drivers? Or is there like one area where like lenders latch on and email you six months later and like say, Adam, God, you saved us. Uh, We really drove a ton of value through X. I think there's just, it's a bit nuanced and that it depends on workflows and, and pricing schemes and so forth that they had prior to moving to poly. It also matters where they came from. You know, there was the same, as I mentioned, same kind of pricing engines existed in 2018, 19 as they, as there are today. Each customer of those systems expresses their own pain points. And so as part of that, we are also trying to figure out where we can help solve those pain points. And so they are a bit idiosyncratic, not just to the customer, but where they came from and as well, even the LOS they're using. So it's not a one size fits all with regards to the ROI on, on kind of the kind of the categories we've we've spoken about up to this point. But generally speaking, we are able to show within some kind of variance an ROI on those primary categories. It, and that aligns perfectly to what we learned in our our last episode with with Movement Mortgage, and that not every lender is set up the same way. Not everybody's starting from the same point in terms of human capital and skill, or starting from the same point in terms of existing technology stack. So I, I understand how every uh, adopter is going to have different ROI drivers and, and probably different timeframes toward success or like truly operating a world-class, modern, secondary markets technology stack. That's exactly right. Okay. So we tackled this, tackled innovation. We tackled it from the vantage point of the uh, the origination executive and IMB leader. We talked about the impact on the loan originator. So let's let's flow this through. Um, how does official, efficient capital markets improve the experience for the real estate agent and in the end home homeowner, the person who is the, ultimately needs to uh, pay and service this loan for the next 30 years or seven to 10 if we're actually talking statistics? Yeah, great question. I'll use an analogy. The easiest way is to use an analogy. In the 80s and 90s, the equity markets were opaque. Shoot, stock certificates were in large part handled manually. 
You know, it was physical delivery of stock certificates. It's hard for you and I who grew up in a relatively digital era to, to even think about that. I, I kind of heard you even like stutter on saying man- manually, like they pushed paper to do this. Yeah, I don't even actually, it's so far, right? It's so far. <laughs> you know, so, but, but that's how it worked in the equity market. You know, hundreds of trillions of value worldwide was transacted through physical means and an opaque price, basically. And so over time, as the equity markets were digitized, and then as you had online brokerages come and and the consumer was able to interact more directly with the seller or the buyer uh, on the other side of the trade, all of a sudden, what occurred? Well, um, first of all, the equity markets became democratized. Second of all, price discovery was obvious and in real time. And then the third thing that occurred as a result uh, of that was that there was compression between the bid and the ask. And so all of a sudden, it became cheaper to transact. And so it's not dissimilar to the mortgage industry. I mean, ultimately, uh, say a pricing engine is effectively a marketplace. It's just a software that brings together buyers and sellers. That's what it is. And so, you know, in the last 20 years, it's been digitized and that's been great. But what Polly is trying to do is to create price discovery so it's democratized. And then as a result, we hope that the spread between buyer and seller compresses. And in doing so, the lenders and the banks and the primary origination market sees the superior price, which ultimately goes to the consumer's advantage, deep advantage. It it should hopefully over time lower their price, the consumer's price, their rate, their APR, whatever. And so over time, that's really what we're looking to to achieve. So Adam, over the last seven months, we've seen mortgage interest rates escalate at a faster pace than than I've ever seen. And uh, rates today, as we record this conversation, are for the average 30-year fixed rate mortgage are hovering around 7%, um, which is a pretty large spread over the current uh, 10-year note. Can you give us a glimpse into some of the capital markets dynamics that are driving today's pricing and how that may or may not change as we as we look further out in 2023 and beyond. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. So a few things contributing to it, uh, in my opinion. The first thing is uh, with quantitative tightening um, ending and the Fed was the primary buyer of uh, MBS for several, several years, basically almost a decade. When you eliminate that buyer, in fact, they actually are letting the portfolio run off. And so there's another challenge there. Um, all of a sudden, the private market is forced to themselves purchase MBS. Um, and they haven't been used to having to do that in this type of scale in a decade. Uh, so that's number one. Number two, you know, with rates as high as they are, the secondary market naturally is concerned. As we inch closer to a potential recession, naturally, with such an inv- inverted yield curve, that generally trigger, you, you know, is a signal to a recession. And so if that is to occur, it's always the case since, since World War II that rates will go down. So there's obvious duration risk, right? No one wants to buy uh, an MBS with whatever it is, six coupon or five and a half, whatever the case, if they're concerned that just six, 12, 18 months later, it's going to pay off. So, you know, you kind of have like this perfect storm of issues creating, and there's other issues, but I'd say in my opinion, at least those are the two primary, perfect storm of issues creating this kind of spread between the MBS market and, and the treasuries market. 
And then you kind of compound that with the fact that there's still uncertainty as to how much further the Fed's going to go, if not, or maybe they will. So it's very, very hard to get a read on thinking through what the right price should be today relative to six months from now. And so that's that's a challenge. That's certainly a challenge. Yeah, it's one of those... Uh... It's amazing how the U.S. mortgage market operates without any prepayment penalties, but then it kind of creates this unintended consequence when rates move quickly. Um, the market needs to uh, to calculate that prepayment risk in, and I think that's something we're seeing pretty loud and clear today. I, I imagine through Poly Platform and all of your users, you, you're getting you know pretty incredible insights into like some of the b- behaviors and and movements of the market. That's why I thought you'd be kind of uniquely qualified to to speak on that topic. Yeah, I mean, we have a pretty good read on obviously where loans are getting locked and kind of between each channel and, and each geography and loan balance and so forth. So we have a pretty good feel. But I mean, you know, ultimately it all kind of averages out to where what you would otherwise read, you know, from Fannie Mae or Freddie Mac or MBA or, or so forth and so forth. Yeah. Okay. Adam, so as we close out the fourth episode of the Secondary Market Masterclass, this amazing series that has helped me learn so much about mortgage capital markets. Uh, I'm going to ask you to shake the crystal ball, but not to predict interest rates. Um, we won't ask that of you, but we will ask you to predict where mortgage capital markets technology is headed and what we should expect for the future of innovation in the digital mortgage ecosystem. That's a great question. You know, with regards to, to mortgage capital markets, or maybe more specifically the, the technology component of mortgage uh, capital markets, you know, competition's good. It's good for the market. It's good for the lending community. And I think for the first time, there's some competition. And we're really, really excited about that. And, and I hope that that creates over time a lot of value that can be measured for banks and credit unions and independent mortgage companies. And certainly what I can 100% guarantee you is Polly's going to do its part to innovate. Polly is going to do its part to think about things differently continue to execute on our commitments, deliver world-class service, and do all we possibly can to be on the very, very cutting edge. And so um, I think at least as far as Poly is concerned, I think the industry can count on us to be there as a partner and to continue to lead the industry uh, with the most cutting edge innovation. Well, Adam, as we round out the end of this masterclass series, I, I have to iterate and reiterate that, uh, this is the market. This is the time of the market this is the dynamic where winners really solidify themselves and pick up market share, which I think is makes it a really important time to think about, uh, having the right tech stack and understanding if each department inside of your mortgage banking business is operating as efficiently as possible. We're definitely seeing players put their, their foot on the gas and others, uh, kind of lean back on their heels. And, uh, I am excited and, uh, just excited period about seeing the people who really accelerate move through the Humda tables and solidify market dominant positions as we move through this cycle of the housing ecosystem. Absolutely. Couldn't agree with you more. All right, Adam, that's a wrap. Folks, this is the end of the Secondary Market Masterclass brought to you by our friends at Poly. A big thank you to Adam Carmel and his whole team for helping support our team at Housing Wire with knowledge, resources, and experts to help bring this knowledge to you, our housing news listeners. I hope you enjoyed the Secondary Market Masterclass and tune in next week for our regularly scheduled programming of housing news. Have a great one.
Thank you so much for listening to the Housing News Podcast. Please take a few seconds to rate Housing News on Apple Podcasts. It means a lot for the show, and we really do appreciate and listen to your feedback. Also, we're gearing up for Housing Wire Annual in October. Please visit housingwire.com forward slash events for full details about our big annual event in Austin, Texas.